0: Amen. Good morning, everyone. Well, it's great to see you, you guys are looking awesome today. Yeah, hey, I just wanted to mention this morning, uh, one of our brothers, Kurt, his father just passed away. And Kurt, you're here today. We give our condolences to you. Come on, let's pray for Kurt this week. You make sure that you remember him. And uh, brother, we're sorry for the loss of your father. Hey, guys, we are really honored that you are here today. Thank you for being with us uh, over the last couple of weeks. We've begun a journey. And it's called the story. It's basically God's story intersects with our story, and then that's when our lives are that's when our lives are changed. And we've been talking about stories that change us. And uh, Miranda mentioned it, the series is a few weeks long. It's only 31 weeks long. <laughs> it's only 30. We've never done a 31 week series, and so uh, it is a few weeks. And we are using this book right here called the story. If you've not picked up this book. They're $5. I want to say $5. That's a great deal. It's a $20 book. We got a great deal on them. They actually um, raised the price on us to $6, but we're passing it on to you for $5. We really want you to get this book because every week in this book is the story that we'll be preaching on. And anybody remember last week? Okay, four people. Abraham. That's how memorable it was. I preached last week. Abraham. And Abraham was the man of faith. This morning, it really is a great privilege, and one of the things that we 're going to do to keep this engaging over the next uh, over the next twenty nine weeks now is uh, we 're going to have different people communicate god 's great story to us and this morning, I want to introduce to you a young man that came to our church uh, he was he was even younger than he is now i mean i 'm thinking wow. But I've watched this young man. I've watched God's hand upon his life over the last seven years. I've, uh, I've had the privilege of being at his wedding. I've watched his children born. And uh, and it's been amazing to see what the Lord has done in his life. He volunteers in our in our youth ministry. He graduated from the University of Central Florida with a business degree. He's running a, a store up in Daytona for Metro PCS. He's a great dad. He's a great man of God. He's a great communicator of the gospel. And he's my buddy. He's a brand new deacon here at City Church. And Keith Dominski is going to come and preach the gospel to us this morning. Come on, give Keith a great big hand as he comes this morning. How's
1: everybody doing this morning? I'm glad you can hear me. They're turning my mic on now. Hey, thanks for coming, man. The house is packed. Give yourself a hand. You made it to church today. And um, thank you, Pastor. And can we just give our pastor a hand? Don't you love our pastor and, and, and his wife? And... I know we're not going to clap all day, I promise. But, um, Pastor, it really is because of you. It's your encouragement. It's, it's your trust in me and um, the fatherly figure you've been to me that's really enabled me to even be up here today. So thank you so much for just being the role model that you are and the pastor you are. So thank you. Thanks for the opportunity to uh, preach today. So this is my very first Sunday ever speaking. So I'm excited. Are you excited? Right. And uh, we've been in this story, as you've heard several times, there have been in a series called The Story. And the story, as you see, is all about finding your story in God's story. And uh, if you brought your Bibles with you, go ahead and get them out and turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 45. And another scripture we're going to launch from is Romans, chapter eight, Genesis, 45 and Romans, chapter eight. And while you're getting there, um, one of the things I love about this series is, is, is we're talking about God's story affecting our story, and I love hearing stories of that taking place. And we've got a, a family in our church, uh, the Santos family, who has really gone, some, gone through some, some very difficult and, and trying seasons in their life, and uh, they're going to share their story with us. So if you could draw your attention to the screen and, and check out their story.
2: When I first met Rich, he had three beautiful daughters, 8, 9, and 12. We soon married... And had two children of our own, Tony and Mandy. Our family blended together beautifully, and we had a lot of fun together. One weekend in January, uh, Rich and I took the little ones out of town. We stayed in a motel Texas It was very, very cold, and they jumped up in, in the snow, and uh, their hands got ice cold, and they did lots of fun stuff. Um, I remember Mandy and Tony, one time they went into the elevator, and Tony stepped out just as the door shut, and he's yelling, Mom, Mandy's stuck in the elevator. Rich ran so fast up the stairs, I've never seen him run so fast. It was only two floors, but she was only two, and it was so funny. We left the hotel to go get something to eat, and I said, wait, wait, there's so much snow, it's so beautiful, stop, I want to grab a picture. And reluctantly, Rich stopped and posed for the camera. And he grabbed the kids, and then we all went to the mall, and we went off to our appointment.
3: Well, we got on a toll road after that, which is a pretty mundane event. But right before we went to pay our toll, a semi-truck rolled over the top of our car and killed Mandy instantly. I was in the side of the road. My neck was broken, bleeding from my eyes, and my wife almost had her arm ripped off. Something hit her head so hard, she thought she was still in high school. Angels covered Tony in the back seat because he escaped without a scratch. Rescue workers transported us, and we were in the hospital for weeks. In a moment, our lives changed forever. We survived an incredible, unexpected tragedy. But throughout it, we knew God was sovereign. There was a purpose. We knew God never promised us that life wouldn't be perfect we wouldn't have heartache. But it he did say that joy would come in the morning.
2: God did promise that he would never leave us nor forsake us. And he promised to wipe away every tear. And he did. His presence was with us always. It was amazing, supernatural.
3: Circumstances didn't dictate our faith. God stood true to every promise. He showed up in an amazing way. If death couldn't steal our faith, then nothing can.
1: Wow, amazing. Santos family, if you're here, thank you for sharing that story, man. That's just amazing. And um, you know, what do you say? If you're a parent, you know your greatest uh, your greatest fear is losing the child. I mean, it's I can't think of a worse thing to happen. And um, just to see what God's done through their story um, is just remarkable. It's amazing. It's inspiring to me. And I just want to thank them publicly for, uh, for being open and sharing that story. And uh, the, the, the key point of what I want to say today is this. And I want to give you my key point, my key thought right up front. It'll tie everything together that we're going to talk about today. So I would encourage you to write this down. But the big idea of the message today is simply this. Trust is a choice, not a result. Say that One more time. Trust is a choice. Not a result. Can we say this together, church? Can we do that on the count of three? Ready? One, two, three. Trust is a choice and not a result. The story of Joseph is found in the Bible. We're going to talk about Joseph, as you've already heard today. It's found in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, from chapter 37 to chapter 50. whole lot of Bible it covers. And I love the story of Joseph because it perfectly illustrates how, how God's story connects with man's story, and ultimately our story today. Um, I figured I wouldn't read the entire 13 chapters this morning. I figured some of you would want to eat some lunch today. So what I'm going to do is summarize it for you, you okay with that? All right, great, great. So Joseph was the favorite child of, of a man named Jacob, okay? He was one of 12 children to Jacob, okay? He was the favorite child. As you can imagine, in that type of setting, being the favorite child in any home, there's, especially with 12 children, uh, there's some civil rivalry that takes place in this home, okay? As you can imagine, And so uh, uh, Joseph is clearly and evidently, if you read the story, he is absolutely, undoubtedly the favorite child. Uh, Jacob gives him coats that he doesn't give to any of his other sons. He just treats him um, differently. And so it's it's very evident in the scriptures that he is the favorite, right? And and so to make matters worse, um, if you read the story of, of Joseph, he has two dreams. And he openly shares these two dreams, which wasn't a very bright idea. Um, But these two dreams basically boil down to him being superior over all of his brothers and all of everybody else. And he shares this with his brothers just to make matters worse. His brothers were already mad. They already didn't like him. And now he's telling stories of how he's better than them. As you can imagine, it just takes it to a whole new level, right? And so now some of his brothers are just ticked. They don't like him. And so they actually put together, some of them want to actually kill him. So they're out tending sheep, doing what they do. Uh, Joseph or Jacob wants to send Joseph out to see what they're doing. He sends them off. The brothers see him coming from a distance. They spot him in his brightly colored coat. Of course, he's sporting it. And so he gets to where they are. And and his brothers come up with a plan as they see him approaching in the, in the distance to just kill him. Right. And so they come up with this plan. And, and in the process of, of talking through this, um, one of his brothers, uh, Reuben stops and says, whoa, 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 let's let's not kill him. Um, let's, let's, let's just throw him in this pit. So that's what they do. So he approaches. As soon as he approaches, they rip off his clothing, they rip off the robe. They throw him in this pit. uh, And while they throw him in this pit, one of his other brothers named Judah uh, looks in the horizon. He spots a caravan of, of Ishmaelites coming in the distance. They're carrying goods and spices and things. And so he has this novel idea. Hey, let's Let's sell him. Let's sell him into slavery. And so that's exactly what they do. Uh, They sell him into slavery. And so once they do that, they instantly know, okay, we've got to cover this up somehow. And so what they do is they take the clothing, the robe that, that they ripped off of Joseph. They dip it in goat blood and take it back to their father and say, Dad, we found this. Is this your son's? It's covered in blood. He, he, he confirms that it was his son. He says, OK, we think a ferocious animal got a hold of him. As, so as you can imagine, his father is distraught. He's upset. His son is dead. His most prized possession, right? His son is dead. And so, and so Joseph is now not dead, but he's now enslaved, right? He ends up serving under a king named Pharaoh. And Pharaoh has a leading administrator named Potiphar. Okay, Potiphar is, is, is one of the leaders in those days. Uh, somehow Joseph ends up serving under Potiphar's household. Right. And and in several times, it's very critical to mention church um, several times throughout the narrative of Joseph's life. It's mentioned that God was with him in the strangest, most bizarre times. Right. Like he's in the pit. God was with him. He's enslaved. God was with him. Right? And he prospers. Everything he puts his hands to, it grows, it, it prospers. It, and, and so he, you know, he, he gains favor in the eyes of Potiphar while he's serving in his house. He promotes him to the head of his household, entrusts everything to him. And, and so um, then comes a point where um, Potiphar's wife tries to seduce Joseph. I'm talking like some serious, desperate housewife stuff right, going on in the Bible. Okay. She literally, if you read the Bible, she literally gets him in a corner and rips off his clothing, right? He runs out of there. He's like, I can never defile my God. I can never defile my king and do this. He gets out of there. She still has his robe. She's mad. He left. He, he got out of Dodge. And, and she ends up framing him. She goes to her husband and says, look, I've got his robe. He tried to assault me. When he heard me scream, he ran. So what happens? If you know the story, Joseph um, gets, uh, as you can imagine, Potiphar is upset. Somebody tried to assault his wife, as any, uh, any one of us would be. And so he, he, he has Joseph put in prison. Spends two years in prison in church. It's critical to note, again, the Bible says, and God was with him. He spends a few years in prison, and uh, amazingly, again, he ends up getting favor with the prison warden. He actually um, gains some favor with him. He's put in charge of the entire operations of the prison. Somehow, everything this man puts his hands to, man, it just prospers and grows. And so um, he's in prison. He meets a cupbearer and a baker who served Pharaoh. And, and he ends up interpreting their dreams. God gives him an ability to interpret dreams. And so that's what he does. Somehow, Pharaoh has a dream at some point. Several years as he's in prison, Pharaoh hears of Joseph's ability to interpret. So he calls Pharaoh to interpret his dream. Okay, we're almost done. You got me? You with me still? And so, um, and so he calls him in to interpret his dream. And his dream basically meant, according to Joseph, that there would be seven years of harvest and seven years of famine. And he basically told Pharaoh, you need to have the right leader in place to ensure that when the seven years of famine come, there's no lack. He says, great. He says, great. So you're the man you've interpreted my dreams. No one else has been able to do that. So guess what? You're it. You're the leader. So Joseph goes within like a 24 hour period, a very short amount of time. He goes from being a slave in prison to second in command in all of Egypt. Crazy, right? And so the famine starts, the famine hits the land, and and there's people coming from all over trying to buy goods and get things and just trying to survive and get through the times. And guess who shows up? The brothers. Oh, yeah, man. I don't know if if, if I was in this story. My first thought, man, when I see my brothers coming, oh, snap. I'm second in command in Egypt now, baby. You wait and see what's coming to you, right? I mean, what you did to me was nothing compared to what what I'm about to do to you, right? And and here we find ourselves in Genesis chapter 45, and I want you to catch his response. Go ahead and put that up there on the screen. Genesis chapter 45, verses 4 through 8. Listen to his response the moment his brothers show up. He says, please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer. He said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. Can you just imagine the shock and awe the brothers are feeling in this moment like, what is about to happen? This is about to get crazy, right? He says this in verse 5. This to me is just so crazy that he would somehow be able to say this. He says, but don't be upset and don't be angry with yourself for selling me to this place. Listen to this. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. Wow. The famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years. And there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive. And to preserve many survivors. Come on, I want to meet this joker when I get to heaven, man. I just, I've got some questions for Joseph. It's just an amazing story. And, and, and the punchline verse of the day, though, the verse that I want you to take away with you, write this down, man. My prayer is that this verse would become a just a pillar for you, a pillar of faith for you. It's our punchline verse, and it's simply this. It's found in the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 28. And it says, and we know... Come on, those of you who are believers, if you're not a believer today, you're not a Christian. Listen, this verse may not apply to you because it says, and we know those of us who put our faith in Jesus Christ, it says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Trust is a choice and not a result. Let's pray. God, we thank you, God, for your word. We thank you for the power of it to literally change our life. And God, I just pray you would speak to each and every one of, us, one of us with such specificity about the work you want to do in our hearts today. Help me to communicate beyond my ability and help us to see Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How many of you... Um, How many of you enjoy just a good puzzle? How many of you like puzzles? From time to time, you enjoy puzzles, show of hands, anybody? Okay, some of you, um, I dislike all of you. Just so you know, I'm going to tell you right up front, I don't like you. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just not a huge fan of puzzles, right? I just don't get it. Um, I'm just, I, I don't like them. And, um... I'm a dad. Okay, I've got a two-year-old and a four-year-old. And sometimes, as a parent, you get stuck doing things sometimes that you never really wanted to do in the first place. Actually, not sometimes. It happens about every day. In fact, probably several times a day. Right? Any parents can attest to that. Right? And and one of the things my daughter likes to do from time to time is she likes to do puzzles. Right? And I've brought a few um, a few puzzle pieces with me today um, to help illustrate this point. Um, And she's got several different puzzles, you know, varying in time and difficulty. And and there's one puzzle I'm holding. There's a puzzle piece that represents a puzzle um, that um, I don't mind doing. You know, it's okay. I I can get through that puzzle. I can do that puzzle. And there's another puzzle that um, I want to actually take to the gun range and use as target practice because I hate it. Okay, there's one I don't like doing. And listen, it's not just for the obvious reasons of one's easier, one takes longer, although that's part of it, right? But what you don't know is um, we lost the box. We don't have the box, right? And, And that's a problem, as you know, when you're trying to do a puzzle... Um, one of the things that helps you do the puzzle is, this isn't actually either one of these puzzles, but uh, is the box, right? Because you get a big picture of what you're doing. You can kind of see what pieces go where, and it kind of helps um, with putting the puzzle together. But um, the problem with, with these two puzzles is we have no box, church. I'm not mad. Okay, I'm okay. And um, this puzzle, you know, I can, I can manage this one. You know, I've got this one down pat. You know, I've managed to do this one in about 15 seconds, right? And, and this one's not a problem. There's only about eight or nine pieces in this one. This one we can do, right? Um, but this one, um, I, now, I now know how to do after, you know, doing it 500 times. But, um, but it's a little more difficult, right, when you don't have the big picture, when you don't have the box, right? And if I could help just kind of illustrate this to just life sometimes, if you would carry along with me. Sometimes... Um, I don't know about you, but to me, life can seem like a long, drawn-out puzzle sometimes with no box. Am I right? Sometimes, you know, things happen and, and the pieces of our life, they're just sometimes can be so difficult. Sometimes, uh, you know, we lose a child um, or or um, we lose a job or we're given that diagnosis or, or that opportunity just doesn't happen or... or Or whatever happens, our marriage fails, or our kids go crazy, or whatever happens, sometimes the pieces of our lives which make up our story, which make up our puzzle, um, sometimes they seem to serve no beneficial purpose, right? And oftentimes, we don't seem to have the box, right? So the question that I want to launch from today is this. The question that I want to help answer, and they're going to put that up on the screen today, is how can you and me, how can we, church, Trust God with our story, the pieces of our life, when the pieces of our lives don't seem to serve any beneficial purpose. How can we trust God with our story? I've got two points that I felt the Lord has given me to share with you today, and the first point is this. The first way that we can learn to trust God with our story is trusting that God is with you. Come on. Hey, listen, listen. So simple, so profound. God is with you. No matter what you're facing today. And here's what I know. Here is what I know. It's easy to make that statement and realize that God is with you when life is good, isn't it? When the promotions are rolling in, man, God is with me. Come on. When the the good report from the doctor comes in and I'm no longer cancer, I I no longer have cancer in my body. Okay, listen, God is with me now, right? It's a little more difficult, though, to make that same statement and truly believe that God is with you, though, when life is hard. When we lose a child, just like the Santos family shared with us. When we get that bad report from the doctor. When we lose our job, we lose our home. It's a little more difficult to truly believe that God is with us, isn't it? And here's one point that I want to make today. Suffering will either make you bitter or better. There is no doubt, church, you will experience suffering and pain in your life. And it normally has two results in the lives of people. It either makes them bitter or better. All throughout the story of Joseph, as we mentioned, throughout the narrative of Joseph's life, it it, it, it is noted that God was With him, and I want you to know, church today. One of the things that I feel is my assignment to tell you this morning is that no matter what you are facing today, God is with you. Amen. I want I want to make note of Genesis chapter forty-two, verses twenty-one. If you could put that up on the screen, this is the first. Uh, suffering that we read of in the story of Joseph. This is the first time he kind of endures some suffering here. And I want to just make note of something here. So Genesis 42, 21 says, "Um, Speaking among themselves, they said, Clearly, we are being punished because of what we did to Joseph long ago. This is his brothers talking. Catch this, though. We saw his anguish when he pleaded for his but we wouldn't listen. And that's why we're in this trouble now. I don't know about you, but when I read this verse and I read the, them saying that we literally, we saw his anguish when he was pleading for his life. I almost get a mental picture of Joseph, man, as he's in that pit, just pleading for his life. Right? Just just pleading, just saying, God, help me. And, and the point that I want to make is sometimes church in suffering, um, Sometimes you, you get to a place where literally all you can muster up, all you can say, all you can get out from the inside of you is, God, help me. I don't know if you've ever had a God help me moment in your life, but I can remember in, the, in, in, in my life a time a, a couple years ago when I was working and my wife called me at work. And I can literally remember what I was doing, where I was, everything I just I just remember. And uh, she called me and she was just distraught in tears on the other end of the phone. Babe, what's what's wrong? And she said, you know, the the doctors say she's got the symptoms of of a disease called cystic fibrosis, and they want to test her for it, and and it, it just doesn't look good. And I'm like, well, I, I didn't really know what it was. I said, well, babe, that doesn't sound good, but but what is that? What does that mean? And she began to tell me what it meant, and and you know, she said, you know, it's just it when your body is unable to absorb the nutrients, it doesn't absorb the food. And she's like, a lot of people um, have it, but, but a lot of people don't live past about the age of 30 with this. And as you can imagine, having a child, the thought of a child not living past 30 just wrecks you. I can remember being in one of those moments in my life where I didn't have the words to say. Literally, the only thing I felt like I, I could get out was God. Listen, there is going to be times and seasons in your life where the suffering is so great. And I want you to know one of the most faithful things that you can do is trust God to simply get you through the next 24 Listen, sometimes, and I want you to know today, listen, if you're there today, I just get a sense, man, there's somebody here, you're battling with depression. There's somebody here, you're going through a, one of those moments that we're talking about where all you can say is, God, help. And I want to tell you today, before we go any further, that if you are there, it is okay. But I do also want to let you know that it is not God's plan to leave you there. He's got more than survival in store for you. Amen? Amen. He's got more than survival in store for you, okay? So trust that God is with you. My second point is this. We're going to get to a place where we're trusting God with the pieces of our story. If we're trusting Him with our story, we have ultimately got to get to a place where we are ultimately trusting in His story. When you read the story of Joseph, there is one word, one concept that helped him overcome the one word was trust. And let me make note of it again, church. Trust is a choice, not a result. See, you might be saying, oh, well, you know what? That's, that's, that's Joseph's life. I mean, we're talking about God saving a nation here. Okay, I can, That's just Joseph. That doesn't have anything to do with me. And what you, don't, what you need to understand today, and one point that I want to highlight, is that the story of Joseph had nothing to do with Joseph. And this is where this, this sermon gets so exciting for me, because when you read this, it has nothing to do with Joseph. The entire story of Joseph's life, everything that he went through, all pointed to a coming Savior who would come to the earth 1,500 years later, roughly, and then walk this planet. His story pointed to his story. Joseph, Joseph was betrayed by his brother's. Jesus was betrayed by his brothers. Joseph escaped to Egypt to escape death. Jesus, when he was a boy with his father, escaped to Egypt to escape death. Joseph was thought to be dead. Joseph was thought to be dead, only to discover that he would be the provider for all of his family. Jesus was thought to be dead, church, only to discover three days later he would become the Savior of the world. Listen, this story was never about Joseph. It never was. Joseph didn't have Genesis chapter 37 to chapter 50 to go back and draw reference to, just so you know. He doesn't have his own story. He can't look back and read the same verses that we have today that say, and God was with him. He doesn't have it, church. Joseph didn't see how him being in that pit would lead to him being enslaved. But then there'd be a greater purpose for him being enslaved. It would ultimately lead to him being a servant in the house of Potiphar in put in prison. But then he ultimately didn't get to see that all of that culminated to him becoming second in command of Egypt. The point I want to make is this. You... You don't see how the pieces of your life are going to connect and culminate to this this story. How can this be something beautiful? How can God take my mess and make something out of it? How can God take this failure? How can God take this mess and make something out of it? I want to tell you something. Your story is not even about you. You're not too old. You haven't messed up too much. You haven't gone too far. Come on, if you're here today, if you're sucking oxygen, you're in this place, listen, God is not dead. He is still writing your story. He is still writing his story. And it's up to you what story you want to have him write. Come on. Some of you are in a moment right now where you can't see of what you're going through, what you're facing right now, turn out to be anything good. Can I provide you with the box today? Can I give you the box picture? Can I give it to you? Romans 8.28, church. Big picture. You can, you can, you can bank on with your life. That God causes everything to work together for those who love God and are called according to His purposes. Come on, that's you, that's me. It doesn't matter how much you've messed up. Come on. I know it's painful what you're facing right now. I know how painful it is. It must be to lose a child. I know how painful it must be to battle that depression. I know how painful it must be to go through what you're facing right now. Listen, you might be in a place where all you can say is, God help, and that's great. I am glad you're here, church. There's a bigger picture. There's a greater story that God is writing. And if you will allow him, he will take your story and make it something you never dreamed of. The final question I have for you today is this, and we're ending here. This is it. This is, this is, my, this is my concluding question, church. What story do you want your life to tell? Whenever I meet with young people, and I've got the privilege, man, I love working with your students, man, at this church. I love working with the students of this church. And sometimes I get asked questions like, I'm struggling with this. I don't know quite how to get over it. Or, you know, should I make this decision? Should I go that route? Should I do this? Should I do that? And often the question I come back to is I flip it on them and I say, well, what story do you want to tell when it's all said and done? What story, church, do you want your life to tell? Do you want it to be a story of trust where you allow the suffering to make you better? Or, or bitter, because trust—our key point—trust is a choice. Oh. You bow your heads with me this morning, all across this place. What is God speaking? want to give you a moment. I want you to, I want you to think about that question today, church. What is God speaking to you right where you are? There's somebody here and you've never made the decision to put your trust in Jesus. I want you to know this morning, Jesus died for your sins so that you can trust get to trust today. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're here today and you've never made that decision to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Listen, this is for you. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're here and you've kind of drifted and you've done your own thing for a little while and maybe you feel God just calling you back to himself. Maybe God's speaking something to you totally different, something that was not even mentioned in today's message. Whatever it is, what is he speaking to you? Ultimately, I feel there there are people in this room that as I as I am preaching this message, as I'm as I'm as I'm saying what I'm saying, you literally know in your heart right now that you need to begin trust. Come on, you've lost some hope. You've lost some faith. Well, life has been so hard. There's some people here, you're in one of those God help moments where that's all you've got, baby, and that's okay. Listen, God can work with that. And there's some people here that you need to make a decision in your heart today to say, God, I'm going to make a decision to trust you now. And allow Romans 8.28 to become a life verse to me. That God, no matter what I face, that God, you can work all things together. that's you if god is speaking something to your heart just go ahead with every head bowed and every eye closed i want you to just let me know if you're here just go ahead and lift up a hand if that's you in this place and god is speaking to you to begin to trust in him you need to begin to trust in him and put your faith in him on the count of three i'm gonna ask that you lift your hand one two three so i know who i'm praying for anybody in this place come on i see those hands everywhere i see those hands going up come God, this morning we, we marvel at your grace. God we're, we're, God, we're enamored, God, by your love, by your grace, by the fact that you give us another chance. God, we thank you that you went to the cross 2,000 years ago, God, so that we can trust you. God, we can put our hope and our faith in you. God, and I thank you for those that are here today that are making that decision to put their trust in you for the very first time. God, I pray that they would sense your love, sense your grace, sense your forgiveness, God, as they draw on you. And God, I pray for every person that at the sound of my voice knows deep within them, God, that they, they know that they know that you are calling them to trust you to write their story. And though it's hard, though it's difficult, God, we can trust the words of Romans 828. God, that is the big picture, God, that you work all things together for good for those that love you and are called according to your purpose. God, and we celebrate you. We celebrate what you're doing in our lives, God. We celebrate the fact that our best days are ahead, God, though the times may be dark. Though the times may be difficult, though the times may be hard, God, we know, God, that better days are to come because You work all things together for good for those to those that love You and are called according to Your purposes. God, we thank You, and I pray that as we leave this place today, God, Romans eight twenty eight would be the big picture that we can never take our eyes off of in Jesus' name. Man,